The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. We are live on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee and streaming online at wvfs.fsu.edu. I'm your host, Gary Putnick, and what a wild, beautiful, and wonderful weekend of sports that we had this past weekend from college basketball, college football, and the NFL. We got it all coming your way in just a moment. But first, as always, I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Austin Reynolds. Austin uh, you were at the first FSU men's basketball home game of the season last Wednesday when they took on UNF. What was it like being in the Tucker Center for that first home game and a socially distant FSU basketball team? It's sort of the same response that I had for the uh, the first bit, uh, football game of the season. It was good to be back, but it was weird with all the protocols in place. I mean, even getting my pass to get into the arena was a little odd because the first person I talked to said, oh, all the passes have already been distributed to the media members that requested them, which was not true. So I was standing outside the Tucker Center for five minutes just talking to Thomas Martinez, FSVU, just sweating bullets because I didn't know if I was going to be able to cover the game. But everything worked out. We got moved up, uh, us media members did, to the uh, one of the corners of the, of the arena on the second deck. So better vantage point, but it was just weird to be uh, kind of far from the game in comparison to past years. So you guys weren't over behind the scorer's table because I noticed there were some, it looked like media. I couldn't tell if that was what it was, but okay, so you guys are in those corners over on the first level, right? Right, right. Okay, that's not bad. That, I actually would enjoy sitting up there to watch a game as a member of the media. I know we've had some pretty decent seating before, but sometimes you get a little bit of the basket in the way when you're trying to watch. But still, not bad. At least you, you were able to be there, and exactly. we're happy that we actually have FSU basketball this year, men's and women's, and we really do appreciate that. But yeah, so we'll get into some FSU men's and women's basketball later on in the show. Uh, we also, I think Sebastian, I don't think Sebastian's calling in, but Sebastian, I believe, is running the Twitter right now at talk underscore Tomahawk. So go follow us on Twitter if you so please. And then I believe we'll also have Mikey Lamar coming on the show in the second half to talk some NFL and maybe a little bit of college. Um, but before we get into some of the other stuff in the show, I just want to take care of a little bit of housekeeping before all of that. So this will be our last show of the year 2020. I know we really didn't have as many shows as we'd like to because of the whole pandemic. We got cut off in March early, and then we weren't really able, we weren't able to be here at all in the summer, and then we just got allowed to come back in a very small form this year. I mean, it's just awesome. I'm the studio, still masked up, and uh, it's a lot different than what we're used to. We usually have at least, about feels like 10 people in here. We usually have me, you, two panelists, maybe somebody in the fish tank for Seminole Segment, a couple people just watching on, a person doing Twitter. I mean, it's usually a whole big crew here, but... Uh, this will be our last show here this for this semester of the year of 2020. So we'll be back coming around January. But during this Christmas break, holiday break, we're going to be doing some shows via podcast. We won't be on a consistent schedule for that. We'll kind of just uh, do it as we please, just because this has been a long semester and we all deserve a break here. At least I think we all deserve a break here. I can definitely attest to that. This semester has been one unlike any other that I've experienced. So definitely need a couple of weeks to kind of cool down before we do it all over again. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, like he said, we'll be back here in January, early in the early in the month of January, doing live shows, talking a lot of FSU basketball, not maybe a little bit of FSU football dependent on how things go with that. If we have any reactions, I'll probably be done in podcast form over the break. But we'll be coming back in full force. Hopefully a little bit more people will be allowed in the station, barring any COVID uh, restrictions, any further restrictions that come upon us. But at least we'll at least have this kind of format where it'd be me, Austin, and Sebastian 
and maybe one other person calling in. So we'll be getting into that next semester. Hopefully we'll still be able to bring you the same sort and the same quality of content that we're used to bringing, but just in a little bit more of a socially distant form. But yeah, so let's get into some FSU football because last week we were pretty doom and gloom about the seasons, the health of the season in a way. We pretty much pronounced the season dead. We said FSU will not be playing another college football game this year. And a couple days later, they said they are playing a couple college football games for the remainder of this year. But so instead of playing just one game in the month of December, Florida State will actually be playing two. And no one won't be a bowl game as of right now. We don't think so. I'm I'm not going to make a prediction whether FSU will be playing a bowl game, because if I say one thing, it's probably going to be the other. But FSU will be playing Duke this weekend in Tallahassee at 4 p.m. That game will be... uh, a makeup for last week, Florida State was supposed to be traveling to uh, Durham or to, to Duke uh, to play that game. But because of the whole uh, positive that Florida State had before the UVA game, they decided, OK, due to contact tracing, we're just going to cancel this game against Duke. And that could be the end of the season. It could be not. So it turns out that wasn't the end. And they'll be playing Duke at home this week. And then the week of the 19th, they'll be traveling to uh, Wake Forest to take on the Demon Deacons. So that'll be Florida State's last regular season game of the season. And so that will be that'll be a good way to end that uh, season for them. So what did you think of when you heard the announcement for Florida State's schedule being adjusted? I was surprised, honestly. I Like we said on the show last week, I did not expect any games to be scheduled for those two open dates. I just didn't think, especially Duke, because, I mean, Originally, FSC was supposed to travel to Duke, so the fact that Duke was even scheduled, the fact the fact that they agreed to come down to Tallahassee is a huge surprise to me. Um, but I, I would have been less shocked if FSU had been able to schedule one game, like that this coming weekend, the 12th. If they had gotten a game scheduled there, I would have been like, oh, this is cool. But to have two teams agree to come, or two teams agree to play you, not to come to, not to, come to Tallahassee for both of them, but to have two teams sign up to play you in games that were previously unscheduled is... Uh, a huge win for this program, trying to build some culture, trying to figure out which guys are going to be part of the team next year because there have been a few opt-outs. There have been a few players that have entered the transfer portal. Uh, this team is going to look a lot different in these last two games than it looked in the first eight. So going to be really an early picture of what to uh, what to expect in 2021. And you said this team is going to look a lot different because, like you said, those transfers, some of the few, some of the notables, I'd say, Sante Samuel, defensive back, uh, defensive tackle, uh, Corey Durden, and then linebacker slash safety slash whatever you want to call him, Jaden would be. So those guys are all hitting the road. And then LaDamian Webb also has opted out of the year, but he said he will be coming back to Tallahassee for uh, the next season. So that's at least a plus there. You don't lose him at, at the least in that backfield. So you got something to look forward to there. But you said this team will look different. It's because it's going to be so much younger than it even was before. We said it was, it was like 78% uh, first-year players, whether that be a redshirt player or a true freshman but still it's they were about 78 percent in that way but now it's going to be even younger we could possibly even see something close to 90 percent which you just come to think of as <laughs> insane because florida state they usually have a little bit more experience to them just as a whole but now it's really starting to become okay this is now a complete youth movement and you see it everywhere in sports you see it in baseball you see it in uh european soccer you see it all over these places and sometimes it goes really well, and sometimes it does not go anywhere at all, and it can fall flat on its face. So, it's going to be it's going to be a rough. I think it's going to be a rough process for this one, especially for these couple of games here, because 
of how kind of last minute this all was to prepare. And we'll talk about some last minute preparations for college football games later on down the line with the BYU and the Coastal game because that was a great game this week. But it, what do you think this team is going to have to really preach in order to get them ready for this game on Saturday against Duke? Just the next man up philosophy. I mean, a lot of it, uh, a lot of that philosophy is called upon when there are injuries to starting uh, caliber players. You say, oh, next man up, these guys can replace our our usual starters until they're back and healthy. But the same logic applies for when they are becoming full-time starters, uh, set to become full-time starters next year. Because, say, you lose Tamari and Terry. You lose the services of all these guys that have opted out, declared for the NFL draft, uh, a a lot of the veteran presence on this team. The message that you're sending to these guys is... This is your audition for 2021, so that should be enough motivation to give some of these younger players, the freshmen, the sophomores, uh, give them the motivation to come out and play to their full potential, despite the fact that these games don't really mean much of anything in the long long term. In a way, this will kind of be an early spring season, a little bit of a spring season where nothing's truly on the line, but a lot of everyone's job could be on the line here. So it's going to be interesting to see who steps up and who really wants to play hard football this weekend because I'm sure a lot of this team does but still there are some guys who might be yeah like we do season's over Christmas is right around the corner we're mm-hmm. probably not gonna be playing in a bowl game this year let's just kick our feet up relax get in and get out so it'll be interesting to see how that goes but I do have a correction that I need to issue I said Sebastian was doing the Twitter I misspoke that was it's actually Olivia Rhodes that's right yeah I can't believe we forgot that because I remember now she did mention it to, uh, to that on us on Tuesday night during our meeting but yeah, so sorry, Olivia. So, so sorry. Uh, it won't happen again. So, yeah, thank you, Olivia, for doing the Twitter tonight. Go follow at talk underscore tomahawk for uh, jokes and stuff that we might make during the show or whatever. I don't know. Yes. A lot of stuff goes on there. It's a lot of fun. But, yeah, so let's keep moving on with some of the FSU football uh, stuff. Let's let's just get into predictions because we got a bunch of other FSU news that I'd like to get to that's not football right now. But who do you think is going to win and why? Um, for this coming Duke game, I was really not impressed by the way Duke came out and competed against Miami. Granted, it was with about a week's notice following the cancellation of the FSU and Duke game, so not a whole lot of time to, pre- to prepare. But to come out and put up 177 yards of offense, and I believe their quarterback, he put up 96 yards in the air on 25 attempts. So four yards per attempt is very uh, concerning for them. Obviously, FSU's defense is not up to snuff with Miami's. We saw that in the second game of the season, or third game of the season, rather. Um, So that's going to be... uh, You're going to be a little disillusioned if you think that FSU is going to be able to put up uh, as good of a performance as Miami did this past weekend. But Duke has been one of the worst teams in the ACC right along with FSU this whole year. So I think that FSU really does have a chance to win this. Obviously... They're going to be a lot less experienced than they have been for these first eight games. It's going to be a lot of new faces, a lot of people, uh, players that were featured in small parts, uh, really during blowouts uh, when you took some of the the starters out. But I would say that FSU is going to be able to take this game, I would say, by a score of like 35-30. I think it's going to be a close affair, and some of the new guys, uh, like the, the freshman players, are going to be able to show out and really make a name for themselves heading into next season. This game opened as FSU's a minus three favorite over Duke, something that Florida State hasn't really been yeah. all season. I think the last time they were favorite was Jacksonville State. Mm-hmm. So betting-wise, it's it's a bit interesting. You might say that's just the home bump because mm-hmm. that's a lot of time you see a three or three-and-a-half point spread kind of be given to that home team just due to home field advantage. But 
it's i'll we'll see I'll, here what you got yeah i just remembered something that i saw the other day when the uh when the betting lines opened fsc was two and six against the spread this season so if that trend continues who knows uh could be a closer game than we're thinking could be a more lopsided game for duke than we're thinking but i mean I, I would like to have hope during this last part of the season. Yeah, and I, I do believe FSU is going to win this game. I also believe by a small margin, maybe not as high scoring, because you said 35-30. I'm probably going to take it more somewhere like 27-25-ish. That's I don't think FSU covers that spread. It's a tough spread to cover, especially for FSU, like who, like you said, has had a tough time doing that this season. And so it's going to come down to whoever's at quarterback. And uh, I still think it's up in the air. You said something earlier in the show that Jordan Travis might be getting the nod for this one. Yeah, there's really been no clarity. But uh, Kenny Dillingham in today's press conference, he did say that yesterday's practice uh, was Jordan Travis's best day of throwing the ball that he has seen since uh, since Travis came to FSU. So that could be a point in the right direction that Travis is going to be the starter, at least for this Duke game. Uh, obviously, Chubba Purdy had been coming in uh, with Travis injured the past couple of games uh, when FSC was still playing regularly. So obviously a little bit of uncertainty there. But I think if we are to pick somebody to be the starter right now, it would it would be Jordan Travis. Yeah, it sounds like that just from what Dillingham is saying. And that's reassuring, too, to hear it's... that from him, that this is the best he's looked throwing wise all year in practice. I mean, it took him all the way to Jan or to December to really <laughs> issue that kind of result. But it's it's at least showing a step in the right direction for him and that's really reassuring especially when there are rumors that oh these there's a bunch of quarterbacks coming into the transfer portal and hey is FSU in the market for one of these guys because you hear it's Mackenzie Milne it's Daryl Mack from the UCF guys and then we're going to start seeing a few more come about as the seasons come to a close for a lot of these teams but if Jordan Travis is the starting quarterback I say FSU wins that game by that score of the 27-25 if it's Chubba I say FSU loses probably by the score of 30 to 20 or mm. something worse. So it's it's going to be a tale of two cities when it comes to whoever's at quarterback. I would agree with that. And really, if Jordan Travis is the starter for this game, uh, then I think that is a huge step in the right direction because if the team gives Chubba the nod, then that either means that Travis is not at full health or he is at full health and he's just not been performing up to snuff because in a vacuum, I would choose Jordan Travis over, over Chubba Purdy probably 99 times out of 100. So I, I do think it's going to be him at quarterback this this uh, this weekend, and I do think that that's going to play a large part in FSC's win. Yeah, it, it's all going to come down for this quarterback because if you look at a lot of uh, games that Duke has played, the running backs usually don't tear it up. You haven't really seen too many guys just busted wide open. I mean, the game against Miami, no one got over 100 yards rushing-wise, but the quarterbacks, the quarterbacks are really going to make the difference here because we saw Derek King throw for over 250 yards. In the game before that, whoever was playing quarterback for um, or was Jeff Sims, he threw for close to 300 yards, 273, or sorry, not 273. Uh, Jeff Sims threw for 146, but still he was able to throw the ball with quite a pretty good efficiency, 13 for 23, three touchdowns and a pick. So, I mean, it's really going to come down to the quarterback play for this game for FSU, in my opinion, because I know we always say it's the defensive line, it's whoever, but quarterback will really make the difference this time around. On both sides, yeah, and it really is just going to be, like we keep saying, uh, like we've said a couple times this season, can FSU get pressure on the opposing quarterback? Because obviously you're not going to have the services of Marvin Wilson, Corey Durden, probably the two most premier players on that defensive line, as premier as that defensive line can get, Mm -hmm. um, all all things considered. But really just going to have to disrupt the the Duke passing game that was not there against Miami, uh, trying to keep that a trend for two games in a row. Yeah, so we'll 
we'll see how this all plays out. Four o'clock. Thankfully, it's right after the Army-Navy game. I believe that's at noon, as it always is this week in December. And then we'll also have uh, FSU basketball coming right up on Saturday at 11 a.m. Really weird tip-off time. We don't get a lot of 11 pre-noon tips here in Tallahassee or just anywhere. You usually don't see that in, only for the like the central time zone teams. They get those sort of awkward time in the morning. But Florida State will be having that tip-off. So let's start talking a little bit about the men's team because we just transitioned to them perfectly. So they come into this game after their 86-58 86 uh, win over UNF. Got a little bit off to a slow start for them, but then they started to really pick it up. MJ Walker led this team the majority of the way through 17 points, four for eight from field goal and six for six from the charity stripe. So really solid game for MJ guy who are expecting to be a leader. One of these veteran guys on the team. What did you see out of Florida state being considering you were there in person? I was watching on TV. It's really a lot of the same uh, ideas that this team's identity is founded on just getting contributions from every single player on the roster. Leonard Hamilton within the first seven and seven minutes and change of the game, 12 players had seen the court, and every every player in that bunch of 12 ended up scoring at least one field goal. So he got experimental early. He got guys involved down the stretch when FSU was trying to break away and ultimately did break away for, what was this, a 28-point win? Because it was not always a 28-point affair. So the contributions from bench guys like Wyatt Wilkes, uh, like Malik Osborne, uh, Tanner Ngum, I, I'm butchering the pronunciation, but <laughs> there's a lot of guys on this team that were not in the starting five that made significant contributions to uh, give this team as big of a win as they got. And I really do want to touch on MJ Walker first, because like you said, uh, he did lead the way with 17 points. And he said that his approach to the game has changed uh, from past seasons to now. He's not taking shots just because he thinks he can hit them. Uh, He's trying to get more of a feel for the game, kind of let the game come to him. That's what he said in in his post-game availability. And just like if he knows that a shot's not going to be like a 90% uh, certainty that he's going to hit it, then try and read the defense, readjust, and maybe pass out to another guy that has a, has a better opportunity to score. So that is a really good mindset for one of the veterans on this team to have. And hopefully he can pass that down to some of the younger guys that are trying to make a name for themselves and say, hey, this is not all that it's about, especially not here at FSU. We are a team uh, that really goes beyond the starting five. So just take the best shots that you can. And if you can't, then just you have a team of four other people around you. Mm-hmm. And when you say that everyone was contributing, it's really reassuring to see that from a Leonard Hamilton team. Like once again, yeah. they're sticking to the same game plan that got them to where they were last year and where they have been in years past. So it's really nice to be able to kind of see that system stay in place because sometimes you might see it change depending on new guys coming in, old guys leaving. And it really was solid play. And one, the, I think the only gripe that I may have from this game on FSU's behalf is the amount of threes that they were yes. letting in from UNF. UNF's one of the best, granted, one of the best three-point shooting teams in the nation right now. Somehow, some way, you probably wouldn't <laughs> believe it. But they shot 40% from uh, three-point line, which they were 11 for 27. So really solid night for the Ospreys out there. But they just couldn't get enough in the paint. And that's really what it came down to. FSU out-rebounded UNF by about 20 or so odd rebounds. I think it's about 42. It's 42 to 27 board-wise. But the three points, it's going to kill them. And we saw last year when they played Indiana and they take on Indiana this week in the Tucker Center. If you let some teams get hot from out there, it's going to be trouble. And FSU does a really solid job of defending down low because they do have some big guys and they are very physical and just solid on the defensive end. But 
once again, it's the problem that every team is really having in the, in basketball, not even just college, but NBA is being able to slow down teams from three. So is there any way they can stop that? One guy that I think is going to be huge in that is Scotty Barnes, the new arrival, the five-star recruits, uh, because he was doing a great job of defending guys on the perimeter. Didn't have a great perimeter shooting night himself, but that's not what we're talking about right now. Uh, he was he has insane size. I think he's 6'9". That's a huge size for a point guard, so huge wingspan. Uh, it, we, he was able to force a lot of UNF players into either bad shots or force the ball out. Uh, so he is going to be a key to getting this three-point defense down pat uh, as the season goes on. But, I mean, you talk about just being able to shut teams down. I think UNF was 5 for 10 from 3 in the second half, so that's a large part of why FSU wasn't able to break away until late. And honestly, they're kind of lucky that they ended up with a 28-point win and not something closer to 12 or 15 because that late run was surged after uh, UNF kind of went cold from 3. So other teams are probably not going to just fall cold like that. They're going to be able to abuse the 3-point shooting line uh, more than UNF was even, so have to tighten that up as the season goes on. And I want to touch on Scotty Barnes really quickly. So the one play that everyone's talking about with yeah. Scotty Barnes comes off a turnover. He runs down the court on a breakaway, one man to beat. He goes behind the back. He takes one dribble, puts the ball behind his back, picks it up with his left hand, and then puts it in. Amazing dunk. Really yep. cool if it's a dunk contest. but And really cool in the game, too. But he traveled. No one wants to admit <laughs> it. He took like 10 steps. I mean, he dribbled once with his right picked up the ball pretty much, put it around his back, and then grabbed it with his left hand. And all that time, he's taken about four steps in just that time. Once he gets the ball in the left hand, he takes another two and then puts it down. So are we going to admit that he traveled, or are we just going to keep blindly going with it and supporting him in this one? I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, I see where we're, <laughs> I see where we're going on this one. But yeah, Scotty Barnes, he looked good. He looked good for his first time out there. Nothing special, but... It was interesting. He did get the start, and you don't see that. We don't see that too much with the FSU guys. Patrick Williams, the number four draft pick in the NBA draft, didn't get a single start in his whole college career, but he wins the sixth man of the year award in the ACC, and he is a top five pick. So, what does that really show that Leonard Hamilton's maybe changing a bit and kind of giving into the five star big names a little bit? I don't think so, because one of the questions that Hamilton was asked in his post-game availability was, I think it was about Balsa getting the start. Somebody asked, oh, how does it feel, or uh, how does it feel knowing that Balsa performs so well in the starting position? And Hamilton came out just straight up and said, we are bigger than our starting five. Uh, The starting five doesn't really mean anything. We get contributions from a lot of our players. So the starting five are really just a starting five in name only. It's not some sort of honor. Uh, So I think that does play a large part in it, but just the contributions that you should expect to get from Scotty Barnes uh, are deserving of a starting spot, obviously, and I think Hamilton realizes that. So it's really just, are you good enough to make the starting five? Yes, uh, but this is not a certainty moving forward. Yeah, I I expect him to be in there more often than not, Mm -hmm. unlike Patrick Williams was. I know even I said Patrick Williams should be in the starting five more often than not last year, but yeah, we, we were all waiting for it and yeah, it never happens. Nothing, nothing. Same thing with uh, Kevin Galley and a few right. others, but Hamilton, hey, credit to him. He sticks to he sticks to his process and he does not budge. And I love that about him. But let's let's shift over to the what, looking ahead for the Seminoles because they've had a few games postponed, moved around. I mean, Gardner Webb was supposed to be that first game. We talked about that last week. I believe that's now been rescheduled for the 21st of December, mm-hmm. still in the Tucker Center, but that will be a little bit further down the line. But 
They got two big games this weekend. I'd say this is arguably one of their biggest weeks right now. Obviously, their biggest non-conference week of the season. They take on unranked Indiana at home at 9-15, another kind of weird tip-off. We yeah. usually, it's weird. Florida State always gets those weird tip-offs at home for the Big Ten ACC Challenge games. I think a few years ago when they played Purdue, it was about a 9 o'clock or 9.30 tip-off. And once again, now they got the 9-15 against Indiana. So Indiana comes into the season Two or they're three and one. They beat uh, Tennessee Tech. They beat uh, Providence. They lost to number seventeen Texas, sixty six to forty four, and then they beat Stanford. All those were pretty handle handily done for those wins there. But what do we what do we expect out of this game against Indiana? Because I know last time the FSU and the Hoosiers met, Indiana shot the lights out of the gym, and FSU stood no chance there. But what do we expect to see this time around? I think the adjustments are going to be there from three-point range because FSU and Leonard Hamilton know that you cannot get embarrassed the same way in back-to-back years. So just the perimeter defense should be up to snuff uh, like it was not last year. Uh, But aside from that, I'm expecting a really competitive game because Indiana, like the Big Ten as a whole, should be one of the most competitive conferences in the sport this year. Uh, Indiana didn't have the greatest of showings against their their only ranked opponent so far in Texas. That was a 22-point loss, but... I mean, they're, they're coming off a win over Stanford uh, the, just recently on the second. So with a week off, I think they're going to be really well-rested, uh, well-prepared to come into a ranked opponent's house and hopefully give them a better competition. Yeah, and saying that it's going to be an evenly matched game is pretty much nothing short of obvious at this point because even ESPN has them at uh, the win predictors 50.5% Indiana, wow. 49.5% FSU. That's surprising. So very, very narrow margin. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting. I'm I'm really excited for this game. This is going to be, uh, I think this is going to be the best game of the night out of the ACC yeah. Big Ten games. I didn't look at the other matchups, but I can already assume that this one's going to be the best one of that slate there. So we got that one on Wednesday night at 9.15. And then we have on Saturday the 11 o'clock tip against the Gators. Florida State hasn't lost them in about six years, seven years really. They're going for six or seven straight. What is Florida State going to be expecting out of this Gators team? Because they, Florida had a, I can't remember what, how they do against BC this past weekend. I am actually looking that up right now because I have not paid attention to UF this entire year. They've, um, they have, they've been a decent squad so far. Let me pull this up right here, but. Okay, that, that was a 20 point win over Boston College on Thursday. That was 90 to 70. There we go. And then they beat Stetson by 46, predictable after that. Mm-hmm. So they really haven't had any tough, truly tough competition yet Mm. army bc and then stetson and now this is going to be their big game this is the one that they've circled on their schedule i think this might this could be the the game they care the most about this year just because the way florida state has embarrassed them in years past especially last season when the gators came into the season ranked pretty darn high i believe it was sixth in the nation and florida state came into uh whatever the heck they call their stadium down there in gainesville (laughs) the sunshine something they came down there and whooped their butt pretty badly so Florida State's going to have to keep up that same intensity over the Gators. I know Florida doesn't really usually shoot the ball too well, but they're going to have to be able to defend down low against the Gators. So and this year they're 36.4. Wow, a lot better shooting than years yeah. past. So that's going to be something tough once again to defend for Florida State. We talk about three-point shooting defense. That's where it's going to be coming in big. So it's going to be a tough game, I think, but Florida State, 11 o'clock tip, it, at least they're not going to be – they're going to be in their own beds, like mm-hmm. uh, usually for home games, but 
they're not going to have the layover on the travel and all that stuff. So I really do give Florida State the edge in that respect. But it's going to be a close one just because it's a rivalry game. I agree. And you said that this game is probably going to be one of the more meaningful games for UF uh, this year. I completely agree with that because obviously you look towards the SEC competing in that conference, uh, competing strong enough to have a good showing in a conference tournament. But FSU has won this game more often than not in recent years. So UF is definitely going to be looking to rewrite the history books, sort of like their football program did a couple years ago. And that has not really stopped for the past three years. So definitely going to be looking to emulate some of their success. But I completely agree also with you saying that FSU is at an advantage here with this 11 o'clock tip because they're going to be able to wake up, have no distractions, just go straight into the game, straight into practice rather, and then go to the game. So it's completely different from the Indiana game where you wake up, you sit around for a couple hours, then you start warming up and then you play the game and you're getting done by like midnight when uh, media availability is all over and done with. So it's a completely different look from Wednesday to Saturday, but I definitely think that FSU is well-equipped to win this game against Florida, more so than Indiana. I'm more confident about this one. Okay, so let's get into quick predictions because we're right up against the half. We'll come into the next half talking a little bit about the women's basketball team and maybe a little bit of the college landscape before we get to some NFL stuff. But what's your prediction for the week ahead for Florida State? Just give me the record. 2-0. 2-0? All right. I'm going to ride with that. 2-0 as well. Florida State takes down Indiana. I think that's... I think they take them down pretty handily. Florida State is, this is a revenge game. These are both big games that FSU mm-hmm. has circled on their schedule for this week. And I really do think they blow out Indiana, but I think it's a little bit closer against the Gators. They don't have exact scores, but blow out against Indiana, close against the Gators. That's fair. I was going to lean the other way and say the, the Indiana game would be a little closer and then UF would be a bit more convincing, but I could definitely see either game going either way. This is a... Uh, a pretty exciting weekend of uh, week of basketball for FSU men's basketball. Yeah, and we'll get into women's basketball on the other side of the break here. Uh, you are listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.
Welcome back to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee. I'm your host, Gary Putnick, and I'm joined, as always, by Austin Reynolds. We have now on the show V89 rookie Mikey Lamar. How are you doing, Mikey? How? You know, I'm doing good. Blessed, uh, can't really complain. You know, really excited for my first show, and I'm glad to be here. Yeah, excited to have you on here, man. We've been hoping to get you on for a while now. I'm sorry that we just haven't been able to fit you in, but hey, better late than never. We got you in before the end of the semester. Yeah, it's been a hectic one at that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. But let's pick up right where we left off. I know we were talking about some basketball before the break here. We just wanted to touch on a little bit of the women's team before we head into the football, the rest of the football world. Uh, Florida State women's team, they took down the Florida Gators. 81-75 to 75 on last, I think that was Wednesday or Tuesday. It was, it was Tuesday, Tuesday, yeah. It was the day before the UNF game. Exactly, because we had the we didn't have a NFL game on Tuesday. Instead, that was on Wednesday. <laughs> so, yeah. Sunday night football on Wednesday. That was messing with my brain way too much. It was perfect. Wednesday afternoon football was amazing. But uh, let's get into a little bit about the women's team. I know we talked a lot about this team having to replace a lot of what they left last season. But they did a pretty darn good job of it against uh, the Gators. Morgan Jones, the the rock of this team for this mm-hmm. season, she put up 22 in that game. One person that I want to see more of in this is Sammy Puisis. I know I, yeah. shot a little, she didn't shoot great. The team as a whole did not shoot great at all. Three for 15, not a great performance. But it's a little bit reassuring that you had other pieces of this team being able to pick them up and not being wholly reliant on the three. I completely agree because Sammy Puisis wasn't a full-time starter last year and moving into that role this year, presumably, I would hope that she has a little more uh, uh, impact on the team moving forward from from the perimeter because she probably is this team's best three-point shooter. So in an era in which the three-point line is so heavily emphasized in both men's and women's basketball, she's going to be really invaluable if she can get back to her form from last year coming off the bench. But I mean, like you said, Morgan Jones... She was one of the people that I pointed out uh, last week that needs to step up, needs to fill some of the shoes of the seniors that graduated and went to the WNBA or overseas uh, last year. So she's done a good job of that so far. Great first game. And I'm excited to see more of her and Valencia Myers and the rest of the squad as the season goes on. Yeah, it should be a great season as we kind of move down the way there. They got Virginia coming up on Sunday at 1 o'clock in the afternoon in the Tucker Center. So they're already getting into the ACC schedule here, Mm -hmm. a little bit quicker than the men's in that respect. But it should be a good season as we kind of head down the line. I don't know if we do we really have a prediction for this one? I don't think so. I just know that Virginia is 0-3 on the season. Uh, I can't remember who all they lost to right now, but they have not been really convincing at all. I, I don't think they've been close games by any stretch of the imagination, so... FSU should be able to come away with this one pretty handily. I'll take Florida State winning this one then if uh, if that's the analysis in there. I haven't watched too much Virginia women's basketball this analysis. year, but but we'll get but we'll talk a little bit more about them as the season progresses. I know we've been kind of over overridden by football and just college football this fall here just because we really haven't had any, but now we got a lot coming back and one game that was phenomenal and just amazing outright was the BYU Coastal Carolina game. Clash of the Titans down in Conway, South Carolina. BYU just not enough, just needed one more yard to come up with that win there against the Chanticleers. But still, the BYU Cougars are now 9-1. and one. They are out of the playoff hunt. They, I saw one thing on ESPN. They said they would have had a 43 or 47% chance of making the college football playoff if they had beaten Coastal Carolina. Would would you have taken them if they beat Coastal? 
I don't know that I would have taken them over Cincinnati. Obviously, this is a, a really respectable move by BYU. To It, it was a Thursday, right? Because that was when Liberty, uh, 25th-ranked Liberty, pulled out of this game against Coastal Carolina due to COVID-19 concerns, and BYU stepped up and said, hey, we know that we have to strengthen our resume. We're not getting a lot of the national acclaim because of our schedule, so we see a fellow 9-0 team. We're going to play you on less than two days' notice. So... Huge props to them for flying, I think it was like 2,200 miles across the country to go play that game. Um, I still don't think that I would have taken them over Cincinnati if they, had, if they had won this game, though. I don't know. If they would have taken this one on two days' notice and came in there and put a whooping on Coastal, I would have taken them for sure. But like like you said, props to uh, BYU. Zach, or Zach Wilson on his headband in previous games, he wore the thing anywhere, anytime, anyplace, anybody uh, on that. So... He really was living up to what he was saying there. So, great game. I know BYU, my boys, my Mormons couldn't really pull it <laughs> off, but hey, respect to them. I mean, both sure. teams, they really put on a great show for, I think that was the best game of the year by far right now. I would say so. I mean, the only contender really is the first Notre Dame and Clemson game, and the one blemish on that game is that Trevor Lawrence wasn't playing. So, when you factor that bit of storyline into it, it becomes a little less uh, surprising that, that Notre Dame won, but... That was just a really insane live viewing experience. Both of those games were. Yeah, it's amazing. I, This is what this 2020 season is all about, trying to fit in these kind of random games at random times, anywhere, anytime, any place. And BYU and Coastal put on a phenomenal showing. So really props to them, hat tip to them, all the applause and everything. They, they really have proven that this season can be fun out of all the kind of negativity that has come around from it. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, this, like you said, this really is the embodiment of college sports in 2020. I mean, hopefully we don't get some of these postponements and last minute adjustments as we move into postseason play and championship play, because that would kind of not ruin the legitimacy, but it would just make the experience a little less full, I would say. Uh, so get these get these fun little two-day notice games in while you can. Yeah, maybe not on two days notice. Give teams a bit more time to yeah. prepare and rest, maybe, but hey, I'll take what I can get here. But let's move on to some other football that maybe has had some weird notice and time and place anytime, anyplace, anywhere. Yeah. Uh, the NFL. I mean, Mikey, you've, you're a Panthers fan. How, do you, how have you been feeling about your Carolina Panthers so far this year? Well, obviously, I truly believe that our record doesn't showcase how good we really are due to, you know, primarily Christian McCaffrey and his injuries. You know, he's been sidelined twice in, uh, on different circumstances this season. But the future is bright for us, though, regardless of how it's going right now. You know, uh, we have rookie Jeremy Chin. He's soon to be a household name, I see, in his future. And we got a skill with Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore. You know, he he got a little nicked up, too, in his last game, but he's a baller. We all know that. So the future is bright for the Carolina Panthers, regardless of, of what it's looking like right now. I completely agree on the, the Jeremy Chin bit. I honestly, uh, being a Falcons fan, I was happy that uh, Jacob Tuyote Mariner, I believe that's his name, uh, got Defensive Player of the Week uh, this past week or two weeks before for his performance against the Raiders. But Jeremy Chin with those two, uh, the two straight plays that he uh, scored defensive touchdowns on, I think that should have given him the nod over Tuyote Mariner. So you've got a stud there. You've got a coach in Matt Rule who historically takes a year or two to kind of build up his culture wherever he goes. Uh, and then by year two or three, they are a force to be reckoned with. So as a rival fan, I have a lot of respect for what he is doing there, d despite the record. 
Just got a tip from uh, V89 correspondent Brooks Brosau. Rule expects Christian McCaffrey to play this week. So okay. big news there for Carolina. Hopefully that can kind of come together, especially for a lot of fantasy owners as we kind of come <laughs> to playoff time for those for those uh, games. But the NFL, they got a lot of good games this from this past weekend, even a great game right now. Washington, the Washington football team's down 14-10 to 10 right here in the at the end of the third quarter going into it so hey hopefully for the 72 dolphins sake they can the football team can get the job done and we can be popping champagne tonight in south florida but i'd say there are some a few crazier games from this week even if the football team does pull off this win in pittsburgh i mean i want to start with the obvious one or at least i think this one is the obvious one the new york giants 17 seattle seahawks 12 in seattle mikey what was your take from this game my take from this game, yeah, the Seahawks' performance, there was nothing short of pathetic. <laughs> to be honest, there was no reason they should have lost this game with no Saquon Barkley, no starting quarterback, and they were at home. So, like, I expect much more from Russell Westbrook, D.K. Metcalf, Jamal Adams, and the whole crew. So, it's, there's no excuses for this loss. They yeah. got beat. They got beat by the pride of FAU, Alfred Morris, <laughs> great running back. If you followed him at his time in South Florida, you would understand he's a great guy and a great running back. But still, this. I mean, what? I still can't believe it. DK Metcalf looked pedestrian yeah. in this game. Russell Wilson looked good. He didn't look great. One touchdown, one interception, over 200 yards passing. Good game from what you'd expect. But I mean, Cole McCoy even didn't beat them. He threw 100 no. yards, one touchdown, one pick. It was really Wayne Gallman. Wayne Gallman carried this team here. 135 yards rushing, no touchdowns, though, to show. Absolutely, yeah. The, the New York rushing attack, for as good as Seattle's defense has gotten with the additions they've made uh, during the, the past couple weeks, obviously they were not a good defensive team to start out, but they've been slowly building their way back up to respectable status. It did not come through against the Giants on Sunday. Uh, you mentioned Alfred Morris. Obviously, he only had 39 yards, but until Saquon Barkley went down, I didn't even know that he was still in the league. Like, that's a name I remember from the early 2010s, and he's still still alive and kicking and getting wins over NFC contenders. So good stuff from him. But just with the amount of injuries, with the amount of players missing for the Giants, I completely did not expect this result. And it really gives a lot of legitimacy, I think, to the Giants' case to win this division because they had won... I believe four of their last six games heading into Sunday, but those were over fellow NFC East teams mostly. They beat the Washington football team, beat the Eagles, beat the Bengals by two points, so not really a lot that you can take from those games. Those are teams that, it, it, if it's not a coin flip, then they should beat, but this Seahawks win is super impressive for me. Yeah, they're playing their schedule, and they're coming up with wins, so credit to them on that one, but I want to switch over to another game that, another game that was a shock to me. The Cleveland Browns 41, Tennessee Titans 35. And in the blink of an eye, the Titans were down 38-7 to going into yeah. the half. I mean, Baker Mayfield put on a show. Over 300 yards passing, four touchdowns, no picks. And it just, I don't get how they, the Browns... No. The Browns are the worst 9-3 and team I think we've seen. <laughs> and that says a lot because this team can either look really good like that, 41 points, but still giving up 35... Or they can turn around and have two weeks where they score uh, a total of 16 points in two weeks. So what are you, what have you seen out of this team, and do you think they really have enough to kind of carry them through into the playoffs? First off, just from a, from, from a pure fantasy perspective, I was not a fan of the Browns getting up so early because it meant that they could not the Titans could not use Derrick Henry uh, in the second half at all. 
that was not the way to win that game by rushing. And I think Derrick Henry got me like six points. So not a fun, not a fun affair there. But as far as if the Browns can keep this up, I definitely think they can. They've looked completely different since Odell Beckham has gone out of the lineup, which is completely unexpected. But this was really the game that I think Baker Mayfield came into his own. He's been really maligned as a starting quarterback for the Browns. He can have these good performances, but for every good performance, there's two that make you just think, oh, is he really the guy for Kevin Stefanski and the rest of this coaching staff? Because there were rumors that they were kind of at odds early in the season, but they've put together a good string of performances. They are in line to get a wild card berth. Uh, if the assuming the Steelers don't slip up in any of their last few games and choke away the division lead, so I think they could be a dangerous playoff team, honestly. Yeah, I'd, Mikey. I'd have to. Yeah, I'll go. I'd have to agree with you. I mean, disagree with you. Like, don't get me wrong. Uh, Baker and the Browns they looked great last night, uh, and I have to give them their props. Their props. They contained Henry to like 15 carries. He averages over 20. But like, I feel like it's sort of a recency bias because really, I don't see the Browns like I don't see this transitioning into the playoffs. I don't see them playing this one into the playoffs because just about like everybody in their division, I don't see none of them as a true playoff threat because of the competition they played. Because, yeah, the Browns, they're 4-1 in their last five, but out of those three games, Baker Mayfield has zero touchdowns and threw for 200 yards or less. So he has his moments, but, like, he's just not consistent enough for me. So, I, that's why I don't see this really transitioning into the playoffs or them being a threat. Yeah, I, I respect that completely. I could end up with egg on my face by the end of the regular season because I did say for every good performance he has, there's two that make you shake your head. So we could be getting mm-hmm. two of those head-shaking performances in the next two weeks. But for now, I, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm on the hype train. Uh, they have a guy that I really like, Austin Hooper. Got got him from the Falcons this past offseason. So I'm, I'm kind of obligated to root for him. But I, I'm excited to see where this team goes after years of futility from this franchise so out of those last four games that they've played against the titans the eagles the jags and the texans other than the titans those three other three teams that they've played have a combined six wins okay so i mean they really have not been playing the most quality competition and those games have been close 22 17 to the eagles 10 to 7 to the texans and then 27 25 to jacksonville that 10-7 game against the Texans, that was in, like, ridiculously oh, high no. wins. So Still, they, yeah. they went the week before that they lost 16-6 to in that ridiculously high win game against the uh, Raiders. So a little yeah. bit uh, past there, but still, like, they're just barely taking down some of these teams. Yeah. yeah, yeah, most definitely. And on top of that, even going against these subpar teams, the score is close and they're letting them score a lot. So their defense is very suspect to me as well. So, and we all know defense is what wins championships, and that's what gets you through these playoffs. Exactly. So that's that's going to be something that we're going to have to keep an eye on. Obviously, the Browns on fraud alert right now. But another team that I, I mean, I just don't know what to make of them. Still, the New England Patriots, forty-five to nothing. They come into LA and they just put the biggest yeah. whooping we've seen in a long time in the NFL. Bill Belichick's got something to play for. Cam Newton. I, I don't Cam Newton threw for 69 yards yep. and a touchdown. So, I mean, what do you want to do? I don't know. What are we supposed to do with – I think they had two special teams touchdowns they in this did. game. They – is the weirdest game. They didn't have a guy rush over 100 yards. They didn't even have a guy touch 90 yards mm-hmm. rushing-wise. Cam Newton threw for 69 yards. Jared Sidham threw for 61, and he only completed two passes. 
So just an all-around weird game, and the Chargers come out looking awful from it. Yeah, I was I was looking at the box score for this game because that was not one of the games I was watching live, and I was just as confused as you were seeing Cam not throw for 100 yards, seeing nobody rush for 100 yards. I was like, how, the, how in the world did they put up 45 points? But it was just a huge special teams mismatch. I think the Chargers might have the worst special teams unit in the NFL. Uh, they had a punt return touchdown against them. They had a blocked field goal, t- field goal run back for a touchdown against them. So Cam really didn't have to do much. The offense didn't have to do much. Uh, they kind of coasted. Cam ran for a touchdown, I believe. And that's all they had to do. So obviously don't expect to see this uh, same level of competition against their next few opponents, considering they play the Rams and then every other team in the AFC East one time. I think two of those games are at home, so that could be a, a potential benefit for the Patriots, despite uh, there not being any fans at Foxborough, in Foxborough, rather. But, I mean, you just never know with Bill Belichick. As a Falcons fan, I can say that much. You never know. So they could go 6-10, and 10, they could go 8-8, eight and eight, they could go 10-6. and six. Yeah. Um, the thing with the Patriots, they're in that gray area, you know. Like, But with a mind like Belichick, you know, you always have a chance. As much as I love Cam Newton, though, I just don't feel like, you know, once again, he's in a system where he doesn't have, like, useful weapons around him. So that's why, like, the Patriots, they're stuck in that mediocrity. But I feel like for them to even, like, have a shot of uh, going into the playoffs or, like, making a wild card, they'll have to go 4-0 and with these yeah. last four games they got. I agree, because they're 6-6 six and six right now. Oh, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, because two of them are, uh, three of them actually are divisional rivals, so mm-hmm. that's really the only realistic chance they have at that. Right. Uh, I think one of those two teams, the Dolphins or the Bills, is going to win this division. That's pretty clear. And then they're going to be fighting the other one, plus the other AFC teams for a wild card spot. I think the current seventh seed in the AFC is eight and, uh, eight and four, rather. So two games ahead of the Patriots, that's a lot of ground to make up in four games. So obviously, I do not discount anything when it comes to this franchise, this coach, but I mean, it's, it's going to be rough goings for them. It's especially when it comes to that divisional schedule there because yeah. the Dolphins, they do not play well in Miami. And typically with the Dolphins, they split the season series every single season. So they'll win the one in Foxborough and then they'll come to Miami and then they'll lose the Dolphins. So it's really going to be tough for that. And especially because you have teams like the Dolphins, the Colts, and the Browns all playing solid football right now. And they're all winning their games that they have to be winning. So... The one upside, though, is that the Dolphins are coming into the toughest part, one of the toughest parts of their schedule here, because yeah. they'll be taking on Kansas City next week, the uh, Oakland or the Las Vegas Raiders in a couple weeks, then the Patriots, and then the Bills. And not exactly that order. I think it might go uh, Chiefs, Pats, Raiders, Bills. So very tough schedule for Miami coming up, and they didn't necessarily look too good yesterday. They won nineteen to seven over the Cincinnati Bengals, a game that a lot of people were expecting to be a cakewalk for this team. They really made it look uh, made it ugly through because with the Xavier Howard ejection, a uh, couple bench uh, bench clearing brawl that uh, went off, uh, Brian Flores running out to go and yell at people and almost fight someone. As a Dolphins fan, I love it that Flores is there for his team and he's willing to fight, literally fight for them. <laughs> But I think some of these errors, like what Xavier Howard was doing, where he got ejected for punching or throwing a punch, and same thing for the Cincinnati Bengals wide receiver, those things just have to be stopped. And, like, I get some of them, but for the most part, Xavier Howard, he's got to chill a little bit in that respect. So I think the Dolphins are in a decent spot going forward, but 
I'd like to see a little bit more consistency, and I'm happy that Tua was able to get out there and play. He was 26 for 39, 296 yards and a touchdown, so that was great. But still, need to have a little bit more emotions in check right now. Agreed. Yeah, most definitely. Um, I feel like Miami, they could, they would, if they played Tua earlier, they probably would be number one in the division. But before we move on, like I'd be remiss not to mention the Jets while we talk about the AFC East. <laughs> so. Do you guys think they're going to win a game? Like, after the game against the Raiders, I, I just don't think it's destined for them to win. I think they could take it against the Patriots. I think this would be Bill Belichick kind of throwing up a middle finger to the Jets in the last week of the season. If Bill knows he's not making the playoffs and he can do whatever at this point, he might just say, oh, let the Jags get the number one pick. Screw <laughs> You guys aren't getting Trevor Lawrence now. So, hey, that might just be how it goes. So I'd say no. But if the Pats are out of the playoffs 100%, then they might win that last game of the year. Okay. Austin, what do, you, do you think they're going to win a game? I, I'm i kind of in the same line of thinking as you. Uh, even though they did fire uh, defensive coordinator Greg Williams today, who I don't know if it was intentional or not, running a zero blitz on the Hail Mary play for the Raiders because I think it was Booger McFarland or some ESPN personality. They said that was uh, Greg Williams's like, that was – him uh, really throwing egg on Adam Gase's face. Like, they were kind of at odds. And uh, he was thinking that Williams intentionally ran a zero blitz, just had one-on-one coverage on the Hail Mary attempt that turned into a touchdown for the Raiders to win the game. Uh, That was his parting present to get them to 0-11. We don't know if that's going to be there down the road, Uh, if Adam Gase is actually going to try and win games. We have no idea what goes on behind closed doors up there, but... The team has been looking so dysfunctional this season that it is hard to convince me they'll win even a single game the rest of the way. I feel like with Greg Williams in any locker room, after watching that Cleveland Browns hard knocks, he's got to be almost a nightmare yeah. to deal with in any sort of like workplace because he's he's a crazy person. No joke about that. Like He wants to be the head coach or he wants to be the guy in a room, but every single time he's not. He's never the guy, and so he always has to play second fiddle to everyone else. Mm-hmm. And so he's just at odds every single time, especially like what we see with Adam Gase here. So this was his swan song leaving New York. <laughs> Mikey, do you think they're going to win a game or no? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I don't think Belichick's that petty either. He's, Belichick, really? to me, does about his business. So I don't see the Jets winning because, like, last uh, last game out there, chance out there, golden opportunity, mm-hmm. you know, they went with the cover zero. Uh, one man on the court. Like, they really said, here, Raiders, score. That's <laughs> what it was. So, I don't think they want to win. I guess, you know, they're set on tanking and getting Trevor Lawrence. That's what it looks like. They just got to get rid of Adam Gase, though, yeah. man. This It's yeah. going to be so yeah. detrimental to any quarter, any new quarterback success if they do bring in uh, whoever, and it's still Adam Gase. I mean, he's not a... We keep saying this. He's not a good offensive coach. He's not an offensive mm. guru. I saw it for years in Miami. It's not true. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know how you can, in good faith, bring back someone who went 0-16 the year before, and then I remembered the Browns did the exact same thing with Hugh Jackson. And so. then they won a game. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's going to be – It's yeah, the Jets got a lot of issues. that they, they need to straighten out before they get to the end of the season here, but – uh, there's a couple more topics that we kind of need to touch on here in the NFL. Uh, the Steelers got a field goal. It's 17-10 to 10 now, okay. 11-37 left in that fourth quarter. So that game's coming down to the wire. The football team is now in Pittsburgh territory on the 44, third and one here. So 
Fingers crossed here. Let's go football team. <laughs> Always got to bring the Dolphins angle, so make sure any any undefeated team gets that one loss. Got to get them out yeah. of here. Get them off the field right now. But so uh, we got I, another oh, game that I believe is worth talking about, even though the game itself score-wise wasn't interesting, the Packers-Eagles game, because we saw a lot of Jalen Hurts. He came in around, came in about midway through this game. He started to get a lot more playing time. Carson Wentz just flat out has not been good this season. So they're deciding to flip the switch right now and go with Jalen Hurts. So I think as of right now, I think this is a good move because the offense seemed to look a whole lot better once he came in the game. And he only went 5 for 12 passing wise. It, but it felt like they were moving the ball better. I agree. And he did have that one long touchdown uh, that everybody was posting on Twitter yesterday. So that accounted for a lot of his yardage. But he did look really comfortable in his first major action. And it's it's funny because earlier in the week, I remember, or maybe it's, maybe this was last week, but at some point, uh, Doug Peterson, head coach of the Eagles, uh, in response to being asked if he would ever outright bench Carson Wentz, he said, oh, I don't think that would be a good message to send to our team because it, it tells them that I've given up on the season. I don't think we can win in our current form. So this is that that would really just be sending the wrong message. And then Jalen Hurts comes in there and spends a considerable amount of time in the game. So bit of a hypocritical action there. But if it if it uh, means that there's a brighter prospect than Carson Wentz for that team, then I'm all for it. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, we're in like what week 14, and like it's obvious Carson Wentz is not the answer. Mm-hmm. And I personally feel if they like if they want a chance at winning this division. They have to start Jalen Hurts for the rest of the season. Uh, Philly, like the only reason they're not dead last is because that tie, that tiebreaker game they had. But it, they're imploding. I, I believe that team is imploding. They don't have no identity. They don't know what to do. So they just need a whole shift. They just need a whole shift. Start Jalen Hurts. See what he can give you. Because we're absolutely, positively sure Carson is not going to give you anything. And I was talking to so I was talking to my friend who's a big Philly fan, and we were watching the draft together on Zoom when everyone was in quarantine back in April, and they drafted Jalen Hurts in the second round. And I said to my friends, like this, they sh- they don't trust Carson Wentz right now, do they? And he's like, No, no, Carson's still the guy. We just want a guy a good backup. And I was like, okay. You don't you don't draft Jalen Hurts for just being a good backup. You draft him to be there to be the next guy in a way. And they're really proving it now because I really don't. I didn't think at the beginning of the year they trusted Carson Wentz wholly and completely, and they're proving it to me now. And so, I I really do believe in that what you guys have said. They need to continue with Jalen the Jalen Hurts experiment because that's their only chance of having a chance at making the playoffs or winning a couple more games because it's just not working with Carson Wentz. Maybe it's Doug Peterson with Carson Wentz. Maybe it's the offensive coordinator with Carson Wentz, but. It just doesn't seem to go together right now. So it, yeah. you got to change something up. You got to do something. Yeah, and, and I still think Carson Wentz is a good quarterback. It could just be uh, a, a scheme fit. I don't know. Like obviously, uh, he was doing well with Doug Peterson before he got hurt in their Super Bowl season, and he's been pretty good in in the seasons outside of that up until recently. But I mean, it, it could just be a change of scenery that he needs. I think he would get offers from any number of teams that need quarterbacks right now. If they don't decide to go quarterback in the draft, he's definitely going to have a starting job somewhere. It just might not be with the Eagles next season. I agree. But, yeah, I think, Mikey, do you have any last other NFL takes that we need to get off here before we go? Because I think we're right at the right at the end of the show. Uh, yeah. Um, the Chiefs and the Saints, you know, they both, 
clinched their respective uh they they both clinched their respective playoffs first and a lot of people might say they're probably the Super Bowl favorite but for the Chiefs yeah you can you can like say with confidence that they're probably the Super Bowl uh favorite in the AFC but for the NFC I feel like it's still up for grabs most um most primarily because of Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Yeah. Like, you can't bet against that man. They're 9-3. and three. They already got a – they're like a couple of – they're one game away from clinching as well. That's why I feel like they're not mentioned as much. And they got a win over the Saints already. So I feel like the Packers are – they are a major threat to the Saints and the Super Bowl. I completely agree. I think the NFC is definitely a lot more wide open than the AFC. Uh, we could just – get shocked and see the Chiefs get a first or second round exit in the playoffs who knows but they are definitely a more known quantity than really any team in the NFC and for the Saints specifically I think it's going to come down to when what Drew Brees looks like when he comes back because Taysom Hill has done good stuff in his three games uh, with Drew Brees on IR he beat my Falcons both times I straight up stopped watching the game yesterday at (laughs) at 345 to watch the new Attack on Titan episode instead so I, I gave up watching our team get beat by a gadget quarterback for the second time. Uh, but props to him. I respect it. Uh, but we just don't know if Drew Brees is going to be the same quarterback coming off a collapsed lung, broken ribs, etc. If he's going to just come back firing on all cylinders or what. So I think the Packers are a huge threat to the Saints. I, I have no idea who's going to get the number one seed in that conference between those two teams, potentially the Seahawks. But it's going to be really fun to watch as the season comes to a, a close. Yeah, you can't sleep on the Seahawks either. They they've been kind of iffy in the past couple of weeks, but like at their best, we know what they're capable of. So that's another team to watch out for, for in the NFC. Yeah, all great points there by both of you there. So I think that's all we got for this week's episode of Tomahawk Talk. Mike, you really loved having you on here. You made some really great points. Did a great job for your first time on. Yeah. Thanks for having me, y'all. All right. Well, have a great night, Mikey. We'll talk to you soon. Have a great winter break. And that's it for this episode, the last episode of 2020. Man, we made it through 2020 somehow, some way. We really appreciate everyone for listening because I know it was a rough year. We got through it all. What's what's that? The Washington football team just scored a touchdown to tie the undefeated Steelers late Woo! in the fourth quarter. So it could be coming to, coming to fruition. It's not over yet, baby. <laughs> I'm going to go get that champagne on the way home. <laughs> That might be a little premature. I don't know about that, but the it's it's got 909 remaining, so definitely going to be a fun game to watch. A lot of football left to be played yes, for sir. sure, but yeah. So, uh, yeah, thank you all for listening. I know it was a rough year, 2020. Hopefully, 2021 will be a lot better. Obviously, it won't change just like that, but hey, slowly but surely, we'll all get there. This is like John Rothstein says: this is only temporary. <laughs> Uh, test positive jeez no test negative stay positive is what he says please please don't test positive positive. oh my goodness what a (laughs) way to go out though yeah great way to end the show here (laughs) uh be sure to listen to the recorded show that we will be posting soon because i know we've been back been a bit backed up you got to remember that we still are students we are just like people say they're student athletes we are student reporters student journalists and the student comes first. So we got a lot of work that we've been doing in the classroom, but we're going to be getting you that all that uh, all those podcasts up soon in the coming days. Uh, be sure to listen to them on Apple Podcast and Spotify when they're available. And for myself, for Austin, for Mikey, for Olivia, for Sebastian at home, and for all the other people at V89, thank you for listening to Tomahawk Talk this year. And we'll see you in 2021. <laughs> it can only go up from here. Exactly.